You're listening to the Table Church Podcast. The Table is a community in Orville, California that aims to follow Jesus by doing what he did. Love God, love our neighbors, and serve those in need. Find us at thetablechurch.net, Instagram, or Facebook. And now for the message. Hey, uh, as always, if you have any questions or answers to questions that I pose or you just want to do a comment, uh, feel free to send a text or, or whatever you want. You can yell out loud if you'd like, if you feel so bold. Um, but we, we want this to be a dialogue and not a monologue. So uh, use this opportunity. That number will be on the bottom of each screen. It's also on your bulletin. If you're interested, I'm going to pull that up. So if I see any that come in, great. But you just saw the series that we're in, The Art of Being Unordinary. Essentially, Jesus calls us to be pattern breakers. Paul tells us, don't be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed. There's an idea that that the world has a lot of patterns that we can easily sneak into. And Jesus calls us to be pattern breakers because we are kingdom dwellers. And kingdom dwellers live different patterns than those around us. And so that's the call that we have, to be pattern breakers. And today, we are, and has been on the schedule, we're going to talk about generosity, giving, stewardship. This is not everyone's favorite subject. I preach on it about once every two years, and I also don't enjoy preaching on it. So here's what I want you to know before we get into today. Uh, I'm going to encourage you to live a life of generosity. My goal isn't to get you to give money to this church or any church. In fact, you don't have an envelope because you can't give money. I'm not letting you. So my goal isn't to try to guilt anybody. My, my, my goal is to try to encourage us to be generous people. And, and, and in fact, I hope at the end of this uh, day, you see that the scriptural command to generosity is to those who are less privileged than us. It isn't to institutions. Uh, so we're going to talk about that, but I'm not, again, I hope you hear me. This isn't about us. This is about what Jesus wants to do, and you're in my heart, the kind of people that Jesus is forming. What's the bad news? We always start with the bad news. Before we can receive the good news, the gospel, we've got to start with the bad news. And the bad news is this. If we don't learn to control our money, it will control us. If we don't get a handle on it, it will handle us. If we don't learn how to control our possessions, they will possess us. I struggle with this. Uh, this is the only picture I could find. Aaron and I go on date nights. It usually ends up at the Goodwill, and I usually end up just getting a lot of religious books because I love books. I don't, even, I don't read them all. I like to just collect them. <laughs> and I buy clothes there. That's where I get most of my clothes. Um, but I grew up uh, not with money. We didn't have hardly anything. Very poor, very underprivileged. I talk about this a lot. My parents struggled with addiction. We had all kinds of issues in our home. And so I've seen the way that now that Jesus has brought me into a place and is healing me, I'm living a different life than I lived before. I've been transformed. Things are different for me. I have resources now that I never thought I would have. And there's all these temptations, right? There's all these ways in which I have to worry about things I never worried about before uh, because I have more resources and now I have more responsibilities. And so I hoard books and musical instruments. That's my thing. I'm a pretty simple guy other than that. My goal, I'll just tell you, my goal is to someday donate all my books and my instruments to the church, but then since I'm the pastor, I can just come in and use them anytime I want, and then I can say that I don't have very much stuff. But I've seen the way it's affected my heart. I've gone from one place to another, and, and I assure you that we all have this temptation within us to let our resources run our lives. 
We have sayings in our community. Maybe you can help me uh, identify them. What is this one? Blank is money. Time. Yeah. The idea here is that if you're wasting time or you're living a little bit leisurely or you're resting like the Lord says to do, you're wasting money. You're wasting opportunities. What about this one? Cash is king. Jesus is king. And that was cheesy. But I'm just wanting to point it out that this is wrong. <laughs> There's no such thing as a free, right? This idea in our head that if you don't have money or you're not able to pay the price for whatever it is they're asking, you don't get it. And Jesus is like, my grace is free, right? The, the kingdom runs on free grace. There is a free lunch. Oh, what is this one? Money is power. Thank you. Right? Money is power. Right? If you have it, you get to exert power over people and situations. The almighty... Anyways, uh, the love of money is the root of all. Yeah, you all know it. Sometimes people forget to put the love there, and they just say money is the root of all evil, and that's not what Paul says. This comes from the Bible. This comes from 1 Timothy. Chapter 6, but this is biblical. The love of money is the root of all evil. And I will tell you that as good Americans, we do this thing where we go, well, we don't really love it. We just want all of it. But we don't love it, though. But, like, we spend a lot of time looking at it and making sure that it's growing. But we don't love it. And the biblical word for love is, like, you've invested your life into it. You're looking at it a lot. You spend a lot of time with it. You are around it a lot. You let it have influence in your life. Love isn't like, oh, my heart is so full of warm feelings for money. That's what we think love means. Love of money is the root of all evil. Jesus tells us, in continuing with the bad news, no one can serve two masters. You'll either hate one, love the other, love the other one, hate the one. He repeats himself a couple times here. He says, but you cannot serve God and wealth, the old word being mammon. Jesus was setting up this idea that money actually is a competing God. There was a God in this culture, the outside of Judaism, that sounded a lot like the word mammon. And he was saying that this is a competing God in our life, and you've got to choose, he says. Jesus tells a parable about a farmer just walking around throwing seeds everywhere. And it's God spreading God's good news to the whole world. And he says, but unfortunately, some of the seed falls on hearts that are unable to receive it. And one of the things that makes your heart unable to receive the good news of Jesus Christ is the false appeal of wealth will choke out the word of the gospel in your heart. Jesus tells us, bad news. And then ultimately, Jesus tells us, it'll be very hard for a wealthy person to enter the kingdom. And we go, well, that's not us. We're not wealthy. And Jesus goes, are you sure? I don't know. It's up for you to decide. You and the Holy Spirit. What's the good news? What's the gospel for us? What's Jesus' encouragement to us? You know how I preach? Head, heart, hands. The first point is something for us to know. The second point is something for us to do, I mean, feel or experience within us. The type of person that God wants to create in us or, or the type of life that God wants us to have. And the last one is something to do. What are we supposed to do with Jesus' teaching on this topic. First question, what does God want us to know to be unordinary when it comes to the ways of the world and wealth and resources and money? And it's this. Kingdom living thrives on earthly giving. Kingdom living thrives on earthly giving. I got a bunch of scripture for you because I know that people, you know, we want to prove this. Jesus tells us in Luke, 
Give and it will be given to you. A good portion packed down, firmly shaken and overflowing will fall into your lap. The portion you give will determine the portion that you receive in return. Kingdom living thrives on earthly giving, on being generous people with time, talents, treasures, right? All these things, these resources that we have. Proverbs tells us, Solomon, those who close their ears to the cries of the poor will themselves call out, but will receive no answer. Kingdom living thrives on earthly giving. If you want God to hear your prayers, it's telling us, I didn't say it, Solomon said it, generosity is a key. Jesus ultimately tells us in his hardest teaching that we receive in Luke 12, also Luke 14, also Luke chapter 18, he says, don't be afraid, little flock, because your father delights in giving you the kingdom, kingdom living. Sell your possessions and give to those in need. And you will make for yourselves a wallet that doesn't wear out, a treasure in heaven that never runs out. No thief comes near there and no moth destroys. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Sell your possessions and give them to the poor. That's Jesus, right? Your first question is, did Pastor James tell me to sell everything I own and give it to the poor? I did not. Jesus did. He says it a couple times. Take it up with him. I didn't say it. I just read it. What I really want you to see, though, is that Jesus is serious about generosity. And I want you to see that there's kingdom laws. If the power goes out, I'm just yelling, y'all, because we're in the middle of this now. What I want you to see is that there's kingdom laws. There's a kingdom way to live. And one of the kingdom spiritual laws that Jesus puts in place is that generosity is so important to thriving in the kingdom. That's the law. Give and it will be given to you. The portion you receive is equal to the portion that you give. When you give, you, you, you create a heavenly bank that nothing can destroy it. Nothing. Right? What are the most important spiritual practices? You can text me or you can yell it out. What are our most important spiritual practices in our culture? What would you say? Praying. Praying yes. Reading scripture, absolutely. Worshiping, yes. I would say that those are probably the three that we would say in our culture. Pray, read your scripture, worship. Those are incredible. Do those every day, every day. In Judaism, they call it the three pillars of piety. If you wanted to be a good Jew, you did three things. You prayed. Jan's going to heaven. She got that right. You fasted. You fasted, that's one we don't like to talk about much. And by myself, most of all, this is not a judgment on y'all. And giving to the poor. Those are the three most important spiritual practices in Judaism. Not everyone had scriptures to read at home, so it was hard to say that you should read your scriptures. We all have ample access to God's word, so we've highlighted that. But those were the three pillars of piety in Judaism. So when Jesus gives his longest sermon called the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew's chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7, all of chapter 6 is dedicated to these three. He starts with, yeah, I know you can't see it, concerning giving money to the poor. That's what he starts with. When you give to the poor, do it in secret. Don't do it in a way that you're trying to get people to notice you. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. You've heard this. Then he goes into... 
Prayer. When you pray, go into your prayer closet. Don't stand on the corner so that everybody looks at you. Don't heap up lots of words. That's what pagan people do. Your Father who sees you in secret will reward you in secret. He says this a bunch of times, and then he teaches us the Lord's Prayer. And then, what is the third one? He teaches us about fasting. He says, when you fast, brush your teeth, wash your face. Make sure you smell nice. Don't be moping around. Sorry, everybody, I'm fasting today. Look how cool I am. Selfie, Instagram. Your father who sees in secret will reward you in secret. And then the last half of the chapter, he goes back to giving money to the poor, to being generous. What does it mean to be generous? So he says, don't store up for yourself treasures on earth, but in heaven. Don't be a jealous person. That's what the, that's what the evil eye here is, or the sound eye, or the unhealthy eye. Can't serve two masters. You've got to choose one, God or money. Don't worry about what you're going to wear tomorrow. Food and clothes. God will take care of this. As long as you seek the kingdom first, all these things will be given to you. So first half of that chapter, he talks about the three pillars of Jewish piety. The last half he wants to talk about our generosity again. How to be generous people. Because kingdom living thrives on earthly giving. Feel good? Becoming, on, or, becoming an ordinary means knowing that kingdom living comes from earthly giving. What does God want you to feel or experience? Because that's what we know. We know that we should be generous. You all know that. I'm not teaching you anything that you don't already know. But often we are educated beyond our level of obedience. And what Jesus wants you to know is that you should be generous, which we all know. But there's something he wants you to experience. There's a character thing. There's an emotion that comes with being generous, of being kingdom dweller, generous people. And it's this. He says, generous people are happier people. And that's, a, that's, that's an expectation that you should have because that's a promise from Jesus. That when you are generous, there should be joy and, and, and happiness involved in that. Paul tells us at the, near the end of Acts he says, listen, I haven't craved any of your stuff. I'm not asking for it. Me neither. We're just talking about generosity. And everything I have shown you that by working hard, we must help the weak. In this way, we remember the Lord Jesus' words. It's more blessed to give than to receive. You've heard that a million times. It's something we tell our children at Christmas time when they're like, oh, socks. Like, um, <laughs> it comes from Jesus. It's more blessed to give than receive. This is where I want to do some Greek work with you just for a second. So Pastor James is a, is a total nerd. <laughs> thank, thank you, Shelley. This is our game show here at the church. If you don't know, blessed is a fancy word that we get from the older English. It comes from the Greek word makarios. Makarios simply means happy. Which is like most of the newer translations, when it says something like, blessed are the poor in Luke chapter 6, most of the new translations of the Bible just translate it straight up, happy. Happy are the poor. In fact, the Bible's over there on the table too. Because blessedness, or makarios, equals happiness. And if you don't, you don't have to believe Jesus on this. Maybe you want to just believe the science. But here's Time Magazine, and it has an article that says, being generous really does make you happier. In fact, they ran a study and they said, we're going to give you 100 bucks. Half of you have to spend it on yourself and half of you have to spend it on somebody else. 
They didn't even have to spend it on somebody else, but just the thought of being generous made them happier. They did brain scans, MRIs, that happiness lobe. I don't know anything about brains, y'all. Lit up on that MRI. They're like, just, just even pledging to be generous actually reaps all kinds of rewards. They go on to say this. Studies have shown that older people who are generous tend to have better health, says this researcher. And other researchers has indicated that spending money on others can be as effective as at lowering blood pressure as medication or exercise. Don't stop taking medicine because I said this out loud. Because Time Magazine said this. But y'all... Moreover, quote, there is a positive association between helping others and life expectancy, perhaps because helping others reduces stress. Kingdom living thrives on earthly giving, but also one of the side effects of being a generous person is that your happiness index and indicators increase because we were designed to be Jesus' people and Jesus designed us to be generous people. Our blessedness our happiness is found in kingdom living. It's a fuller life to be generous. The pattern of the world is to hoard. The pattern of Jesus is an open hand. Generosity is the pattern breaker here. This is the art of being unordinary. What does God want us to do? Last point. You got any questions? Send them. I'll be happy to try to answer them. If I don't, if I can't, I'll, I'll answer them later. What does God want us to do with this idea? Make a plan to be generous and stick to it. We're going to read a little bit of a longer passage. And a lot of pastors use this to talk, try to, try to tell people that they should give to the church. Uh, the original context of this passage is that St. Paul is collecting money. The first collection ever taken in the church was because the Christians in Jerusalem were experiencing a famine. And so he wasn't collecting money to buy more candles or whatever. He was collecting money, which I do need candles. You got candles, send them. We, got, we need lights, y'all. But I'm, We got bills. But uh, the first collection was to help poor folks. And so this is what he says about making a plan. I don't want you to feel like you're being forced to give anything. What I mean is this, the one who sows a small number of seeds will also reap a small crop. And the one who sows a generous amount of seeds will also reap a generous crop. There's another kingdom law for you. The more you give, the more you receive. Remember Jesus said that. Give and it will be given to you. Packed. Anyways. Everyone should give whatever they have decided in their heart. They shouldn't give with hesitation or because of pressure. God loves a cheerful giver. Happiness. Remember, that's what he wants you to feel. God has the power to provide you with more than enough of every kind of grace. That way you will have everything you need always and in everything to provide more than enough for every kind of good work. Make a plan and stick to it. It's between you and Jesus. Don't let anyone pressure you. Don't do it with hesitation. But you've heard the research. You want to live a long life. You want to stop your blood pressure medication. I'm just kidding. Don't do that. Consult your doctors. This is my man, John Wesley. 
I love John Wesley. He's a theologian. Uh, he, he started a whole movement of churches in England that were so wildly successful. Probably half the churches you've ever heard of come from his movement. It, it starts with Methodist or Nazarene or Wesleyan, even down to like Church of God and Vineyard and Pentecostalism. They all come from this man's movement. Pentecostalism is the biggest growing movement in the world right now as far as church movements. And they come out of this man's work in England in the 1700s. He lived almost the entirety of the 1700s, 1703 to 1791. Long life because he was super generous. I'm just saying maybe, I don't know. I have no idea. And he has this problem. He sees so many lives being transformed. And he said, here's the key to success. And everybody knows it, and Christianity encourages it. If you work hard and you live simply, you'll be a successful person. He said, that's, the, that's it. Just do that. You'll be fine. Work hard, live simply. He says, this will, by nature, increase your money. But then he saw, this is his words, nine times out of ten it will decrease your faith. The more resources you have, the less faith you uh, have in you, he says. And he has this paradox. He has this angst moment. He's on his knees and he cries out to God with one question. Does Christianity exist to destroy itself? Because by its nature, it takes broken people and it makes them people who are industrious and hard workers and people who live simply and frugally. But that recipe is a recipe for disasters for our soul. And so he comes up with a famous saying, and it's this. Gain all you can, save all you can, give all you can. So he says, work hard, make as much money as you can without harming your neighbor, right? We're supposed to love our neighbor. You can't make money in a way that harms your neighbor, and you can't make money in a way that harms your soul. But work as hard as you can and make as much as you want. Then he says, save all you can. That doesn't mean save account, banking account. He says, buy frugally. You don't need the nicest thing. Sometimes try to buy some stuff that's used. Try to save money where you can, right? You know what I mean. But he says, if you do those two, you'll be successful. But to be spiritually successful, you need to give all you can. You need to live generously. Here is a quote from him. It says this. Do you work as hard as you can and gain all that you can? Do you live simply and save all that you can? Then you must, in the nature of things, grow rich. That's the secret to richness and wealth building. Then if you have any desire to escape the damnation of hell, give all you can. Otherwise, I can have no more hope of your salvation than that of Mr. Judas Iscariot. That's his recipe. Generosity is the thing that mitigates against our soul decay from being too comfortable and having too much resources. So what did he say to do? This is his idea. Everyone should make a budget. That's a great idea for literally everybody. Make a budget of the things that you need that you need, and then give everything else away. And he did this almost his entire life. The story is, is that he, had, he was in college. He was a professor. There was a woman who came to, uh, it was a day like this. She came to clean his room, and she didn't have a coat. And he just spent all his paycheck on some beautiful artwork. 
And God convicted his heart so much that he was like, why do I have beautiful artwork and this young lady can't have a coat? And so he said, I'm going to do this. I, it, it cost me 20 pounds a year to live. Everything I make over that, I'm going to give away. The first year he made 21 pounds. He's like, okay, I gave the one away. But by the end of his life, he was making hundreds of pounds. And every year he only lived on his 20 pounds. That's his invitation and challenge to you. Jesus invites you to break the human pattern of the world and become unordinary by being intentionally and extravagantly generous. Questions, answers, conclusions, comments? I got one. Send them if you got them. How do people who don't have means, the ones who need to receive, be generous and give? Are there other ways besides finances? Absolutely. Uh, that's my acronym that I use that I stole. It's a pastoral thing. That's, everyone has time, talents, and treasure, resources. And I think God's asking you to be generous with the resources that you have. It doesn't have to be financial. It can be all kinds of other things. But being a person who shares generously, even from our lack, especially from our lack, uh, God honors that and blesses that. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. No, no pressure, no hesitation. And, and, and maybe for me, because I'm not always cheerful, I'm pretty cheap actually. Well, it depends. If it's a book or an instrument, cheerfully. Um, but I think that's a goal for me. I think that's a promise too. So yes, be cheerful. Don't do it hesitation or pressure. But also there's times where I, I just am holding out hope that that's, that's where Jesus is going to lead me. That generosity will come easy and it'll be a, a thing of joy in my life. Let's wrap this up. The goal of unordinary life is breaking patterns of fear, of scarcity, of not enoughness. The kingdom is enough. Jesus is enough. The world tells you, you are not enough. You don't have enough. Every commercial is designed to tell you that you're not enough and you don't have enough. And if you got some more, you'll be cool or sexy or wealthy or successful. But the kingdom says you are enough and the kingdom is enough. So we're going to reject that not enoughness by building our life on the foundation of, foundation of Jesus. His word, his way, his example, and his kingdom. Whether you give here or somewhere else is unimportant to me, honestly. If you came to me and said, I, I'm supporting this, that, or the other, or my neighbor, or whatever, that's the goal. Generosity is not about this institution. It's about your heart and your kingdom life and your witness to the world. Jesus is working in us a kingdom way of living that is non-anxious, non-fearful, living generously in the world. Here's what we said today. What God wants you to know is that kingdom living thrives on earthly giving. With your heart, you should expect to develop in you a happiness that comes from generosity. And with your hands, I would love for you to make a plan and stick to it. No hesitation, no pressure. Plan, generosity, and give.
Here's your spiritual practice this week. We always do one of these just so we could put into place what we said. Pick something, time, talent, treasure, whatever you feel most cheerful to give and decide who you're going to be generous with this week. You get to pick. Be anybody you want. And with that, let us pray. Father, thank you for this challenging word. It is a topic that we, as Americans, do not like to talk about. But it is something that you talked about so much. More than heaven itself, you talked about how we handle finances and the role of finances in our life and the way the money plagues us. And so, would we hear this? Would we take it seriously? Anything that's not from you, anything that was just from our own hearts or minds or out of my mouth that was just from me, may that just fall away. But ultimately, what is from you, would you let us chew on it for days to come? Would you increase that joy of generosity within us? Would you help us to see the blessings that we have spilling over in our lives that are easy to share? And would you help us, would you put people in our brain right now that need a bit of you through us? And we'll give you all praise. Father, now as we come to this cup and this bread, would it be spiritual nourishment and strength to do these hard things? But ultimately, you promised to meet us here. And so in coming, we come with anticipation and expectation to meet you, to be near you. At Table Church, would you finish this prayer with me by praying the Lord's Prayer, saying, Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.